podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. podcast, 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 podcast. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Dysonomics Podcast. First things first, make sure you join the Patreon. That's Dysonomics under Patreon. You can get the app Patreon or go to patreon.com and search Dysonomics. This helps me provide better, more regular content. It's going to ramp up a bit. Um, I'm going to slap some stuff out there. I put a video on the US election that was seen to be quite helpful to people. So shout out those who've given me positive feedback. But yeah, if you want to see more Dysonomics content and better ones, probably more studio and more guests with them things there then definitely jump on the patreon and support the cause help help the vibes that was a very terrible sales pitch but you get the drift but yes you are here looking for some gist in the u.s election and you've come to the right place this podcast is just me by myself i have no idea how long this podcast will take but there is a lot of stuff to get through so as you know um on tuesday the 3rd of november Americans went to the voting booth to vote. There were early votes, which caused a big ruckus, which your people were sending in their postal votes. And eventually, on Saturday, the 7th of November, we had a declared winner. Joe Biden, who is 77 years old. All young, depending on how you look at it. So this podcast, we're going to first start off talking about the results and then analytics behind the result. We've seen a lot of narratives of why certain candidates won or lost. I'm going to give you the actual data, what the data suggests. Then we're going to go into Trump. What? Just a quick little tidbit on what might happen next with Trump. He's a bit of a loose cannon. Then I'm going to look in somewhat detail uh, the nature of Trump's presidency, what's been going on for the last four years since he won in um, the back end of 2016. And then a lot of people have been asking about Biden and Biden and his vice president, um, Kamala Harris. I'm going to go through the history of Biden and the history of Kamala Harris. I'm going to try and make it as unobjective and as fact-based as possible. And I'll leave it up to you guys to decide how you feel about them. And of course, to conclude, I'll answer some questions which may not have been answered in my podcast or in, my, in the main body of the podcast. So... Who, what, where? Who won? What so? As I said before, spoiler alert, Joe Biden defeated um, incumbent President Donald Trump. He won 290 electoral college votes compared to 214 of Donald Trump's. If you want some more information on how this electoral college vote system, you can see a full nine minute video on it on Patreon, but there is a two minute 30 clip on my Instagram. So check out thisonomics.com, thisonomics on Instagram.com. Yeah, so Biden won. There was loads of, you know, outstanding um, states that went on for days. So Georgia, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Nevada, etc. But eventually Biden won. In terms of the vote count, Approximately 145 million Americans casted votes, which showed record record turnouts. Biden won a whopping 50.6% of the popular vote compared to Donald Trump's 4.7%. Um, Biden won 5 million more votes than Trump compared to Hillary, who won 3 million more votes last time. But Hillary won 3 million more votes than Trump and got absolutely waxed in Electoral College, whereas Biden won 5 more million and convincingly beat Donald Trump in Electoral College. So, let's look at the demographics of who voted for what. That kind of gives you a better idea. So I tweeted, and I think I'll post on my IG, the three main issues for Americans when it comes to, um, in terms of what they saw from exit polls, was I think it was like 34% was the economy. That's issue number one. Issue number two, 21% was racial um, inequality. And issue number three was coronavirus um, at 18%. So on two of the three main issues, Donald Trump scores horribly. So that should give us some indication of what's to come. Now, in terms of Trump's base, Trump's main base is non-college educated white voters. In 2016, he bagged 63% of, the, of, these, of these voters. So people who haven't got a college degree, who are white, six out of 10 of them are going to vote for Trump. 
literally identical percentage again this year, 63%. So nothing compared to the 2016 election versus Hillary Clinton. So his base still showed out for him. However, there was a 4% swing in, in Biden's favour compared to Hillary. So when I was Hillary, 2016, 32% of non-college of non-college whites voters voted in her favour compared to 30%, 36% for Biden. And this group makes up about 42% of the electorate. So that's a significant amount of votes. Trump actually gained more votes in many different um, demographics. For example, with household earning over $100,000 a year, he gained votes. He gained um, votes with, um, with the Asian voters. He gained significantly with Hispanic voters. Non-white college, non-white college voters, he did well again. Non, non-white, non-college voters, he did well again. Although, and he also gained more with black voters, but that was a lowest increase because black voters are still predominantly 90% voted for Biden. So just want to make sure that's out there. The data is actually suggesting the level of education is becoming even a, a more of a key divide when it comes to voting, especially as we've seen in the last two general elections. And it is now clashing with racial identity because you're seeing a difference if you are college educated compared to if you're not. White college white college educated voters didn't really change in their voting for the Democrats. However, non-college educated non-whites increased their support for Trump from 20% to 25%. So as I said before, even people, so your Asians, your Hispanics, your Blacks, who or non-college educated were more likely to vote for Trump this year than they were before, a 5% increase. Approximately 90% of black votes, black voters actually voted for Biden. And there was a, although there was a slight uptick in towards Trump, Trump got more of the 100K, 100K Twitter votes. So families with a household income of 100K and above voted for him. He got 45% of those votes in 2016 versus Hillary Clinton. Whereas in 2020, he got 50, but he got just over 50% of the votes. So, and I think this comes from so a, a lot of the tax cuts. Maybe those people are more likely to be involved in business or have businesses. Trump slice, um, slice the income, I mean, the business rates, I mean, not business rates, corporation tax for businesses. And it's also been looking at deregulation across the board, which tends to benefit business, tends to benefit businesses. Sorry, I'm trying to get through this quickly to get to the agree. The margin in which families income that, um, so if your family has an income of $50,000 or less, so that demographic, the, inc the margin which the Democrats won increase. So 55% of the votes of these families voted for Democrats compared to 53% of Republicans. And that was an increase of 3.5 points compared to Hillary Clinton. And that's a very significant um, um, number of people. Trump actually lost ground with the more elderly voters. Clearly, remember I said, the third most important issue for people was coronavirus and elderly are intrinsically more infected by coronavirus. It's more affected because they are more at risk. So when it comes to um, the older voters, he actually dropped five points. So 51% of voters chose Trump compared to 48% of Biden. However, in 2016, 53% of voters chose Trump compared to 44% of Hillary. So that's going from eight point lead to a three point lead, which is of course significant. In terms of young voters, it didn't really change. They still turned out to vote for um, the Democrats in large numbers, but of course they're not as large of a group in total. Biden, in fact, actually did better with the male voters and he did pretty similar with women voters. 47% of uh, male voters voted for Biden compared to 42% when it was Hillary. And he gained also 2% on the women vote. So maybe there's some element of sexism there. I don't know. So that is the real demographical breakdown of the election. I've seen a lot of people talk about how the black vote was very key. I'm not too sure if the data suggests that um, a lot of people were clearly fed up with Trump's bullshit. And as I'm going to go into later, Biden's actually a well-liked figure in the media as well as colleagues, and that will translate pretty well into how he is um, broadcasted compared to Trump, who's been getting slapped by the media for four years. And pretty much rightly so. Now, 
what's going to happen next? Well, a lot of people are worried that Trump's going to go on a, an 11 week temper tantrum. Of course, inauguration's like the 20th of January. Trump is still the sitting president. So people think he's going to pardon himself and some of his other donnies. He's already pulled out of the Paris Climate Agreement, which was done on Wednesday, the 4th of November. He's going to contest the election and he's probably going to likely fail on current evidence. So that's what Trump's going to do. So that's a very small segment. I don't really care about that right now. And I don't think many people do. So the history of Trump. So let's get into the nitty gritty of what Trump's presidency was actually like. First things first, yeah, I find this crazy. At a cost of like almost $2.5 million, last time I checked, Trump tended to stay in his own hotels and resorts, as well as the Secret Service. And this was paid for by taxpayers. So essentially, he's essentially paid his own business to stay there instead of being at the White House. I thought I'd just throw that out there. He was also had a reputation for bringing in the more far, far all right people such as Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon, who was a very key advisor to him on national security measures. And they believed, these people believed that mainstream media were too benevolent for immigrants, too benevolent when it comes to African-American criminals and obviously these evil Muslims. So those are the type of people that he was bringing in. He showed his support for white nationalists on several occasions. Remember when it came to Kaepernick kneeling and NFL players kneeling regarding um, police brutality, he referred to them as son of a bitches and, he's, and he was imploring NFL um, owners to fire these son of a bitches, which is incredible. Um, also, when we saw in Charlotte with clashes between white nationalists and anti-racism protesters, he was saying, oh, there's good and bad on both sides. And then he was trying to like, do you know what I mean? He was just basically siding and he was kind of siding with people who are out here wearing Ku Klux Klan masks and carrying guns and shit. It was crazy. Trump was also pro-deregulation across the board. He also mirrored George Bush, one of George Bush's most catastrophic failures when George Bush was terrible with dealing with um, Hurricane um, Katrina, which really damaged um, New Orleans. This was similar to Hurricane Maria, which left Puerto Rico with 5,000 deaths. Trump tried to pam Obamacare, but he failed and it was thwarted by uh, John McCain, which is quite ironic. He slashed corporation tax, which I mentioned before, from 35%, which is quite high in my opinion, to 21%. The stock market went brazy, but this didn't really translate well into wages and overall bringing reinvestment into businesses and stuff like that. But whatever. <laughs> it's whatever, it's whatever, it's whatever. Trump wasn't as active as his advisors would like him in regards to foreign policy at times. For example, they wanted him to engage in military strikes with Iran and North Korea. He didn't. In fact, he was the first president to actually go visit North Korea. However, he did get active in Syria and Afghanistan and Somalia with regards to drones and stuff like that. He was also known for the sudden travel bans on predominantly Muslim nations, which was pretty disgraceful. He was impeached for um, his dealings with Ukraine in 2019. He was attempted to get a Ukrainian prosecutor to pursue Hunter Biden, which is, <laughs> didn't happen to be the son of the man who flogged him in the elections. Um, he routinely tried to circumvent investigations into the Russian interference with the the 2016 elections. And it was pretty, there's a lot of evidence that there was some level of interference and dealings with Trump there. He actually tried to get the Justice Department to pursue his political foes. He purged Inspector General's investigations into his own administration. So people investigating him, he's actually just trying to tamper with his investigations. He failed to coordinate a national policy of, uh, with with COVID. He refused a firm's offer of 1.7 million masks a week in January because he didn't think it was necessary. He just he saw it as just like a flu. He, one thing he did do right was that the big stimulus packages that were hit in March that were hit in March, but they expired in July and he took too long to kind of get back involved. America, last time I checked, had the worst amount of deaths and they have one of the worst infection rates across in the world. So they are one of the worstly hit from COVID. And with that level of resources is quite honestly criminal. Of course, we had a trade war of China, which I did a few podcasts on. Um, when people were protesting racial injustice outside the White House, he got the troops to start firing tear gas and rubber bullets and all that type of stuff. So yeah, it was... A very, 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 very crazy time. So that is Donna Trump. My opinion, he was a shocking president. 
he was incompetent. He he was bigoted, racist, sexist, like you name it. Remember him, build that wall, build that wall. There's so many different things that from pre his presidency with the grabber and the pussy and having things there. But even during his presidency, when I think it was in Cuba, no, it wasn't Cuba. It might have been Haiti when they were giving out supplies for people after after earthquake. He was throwing supplies like he was Steph Curry. Like he didn't even take it seriously. Like there's so many different things he's done across his presidency, insulting people up and down, like laughing at um, fellow fellow politicians who suffered from COVID or get hit with COVID himself. Um, the whole it's from China stuff. Um, a f- woman who appeared to be from the Far East asking questions about COVID. He said, why don't you ask China? Then she was like, wait, why are you telling me to ask China? He's like, boy, next question. Like, the I want people to understand that the, the, the spotlight that Trump got put under was crazy. We've never seen a president put under that level of spotlight. And I actually think that's the level of spotlight we should always have on elected officials. But I think this is my personal opinion. This was because of who it was. Trump, he was very divisive. He was very rude. He was very polarising. And he wasn't a member of the political class. So he didn't have that political affiliation and links. So the media was on his ass. Like, celebrities were on his ass in victory speeches, in songs, up and down. We've never really seen that level of energy towards one candidate. So it's no surprise to me that when I saw Biden was leading the polls, I was like, okay, cool, this makes sense because he's been smeared from, not even smeared, he's been dragged through the mud from day one. So I was a bit sceptical because obviously Hillary was leading the polls, she won a popular vote but still lost. But yeah, this doesn't really surprise me. To be fair, nothing in America surprised me. Like my head was telling me Donald um, Trump will lose but my heart was saying, ah, I think he's going to do it. But he lost and that's that. Now, we have two new faces in the White House coming January 2021. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So I'm going to go through these two individuals. I tried to get as much information as possible. So I even even went beyond my own knowledge. I went to go do a lot of research. I've literally read about 40, 60 different articles and stuff like that, let alone all the podcasts and tweets and stuff that I've been reading. So I'm trying to give the most objective view on both these people as possible. I'm not even going to try to give my own opinion. Um, I, I, I'll leave that to my Twitter. But this is just for informational purposes. So, Biden. So let's look at the Biden tea, as the ladies would say. So, in 1974, he was quoted saying he was as anti... Um, he was as liberal as your grandmother and with regards to abortion. So speaking on Roe versus Wade, he said, boy, I don't agree with it because, and I quote, woman, a woman does not have the sole right to say what, she, what happens to her body. However, he reversed his position over the years. He voted to overturn Roe versus Wade in 1981 and he's long been then, he has since been then an advocate for pro-choice. He is actually one of the least wealthy government officials. He was ranked um, recently 577 out of 581. So he's one of the least wealthy officials. So you can't say that he's, you know, my man's big business, but we'll get onto that later. He actually wasn't the most popular during his six years as vice president to Barack Obama. But in general, he, especially when he's out of um, the limelight, like he's a very popular figure. He was an advocate for the Iraq war. So that doesn't have to go well, but it's important to be said that majority of congress was biden was very instrumental in the open embrace for marriage equality when it comes to lgbt and q rights especially in obama's first administration obama has been known to flip-flop on this issue in 1996 obama was in favor of gay marriage however when running in 2008 he said marriage is a woman and a man is a union between man and a woman and as a christian um it, this is sacred of god if you know anything about America, it shouldn't surprise, it shouldn't surprise you to why Obama said that. However, Obama was furious and he eventually had to back it when Biden openly um, endorsed, endorsed an act um, to, you know, provide equal rights when it comes to marriage and all that type of stuff. However, Biden did, in 1996, <laughs> vote for the discriminatory and defense of marriage act but 
most people did, to be honest. So he was he was on trend. So you can call him a bigot, but um, he spun the block on it. He was the he was the senior he was a senior member of the judiciary committee that created a number of harsh anti drug laws, which we're going to talk about in detail. As I said, he's popular with the press. He's popular with his colleagues, and that tends to unless he's actually in a position of power, that tends to like obviously being the vice president. That comes with a certain level of scrutiny. He's always tend to be displayed as a quite likable character. When the whole stuff with Judge Kavanaugh was going on, obviously, in my opinion, I said, no, 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 give my opinion. Anyway, he was running for, let me just say he was, at this point, he knew he was running, but he apologised for failing to protect Anita Hill, a black woman who came forward about sexual assault at the hands of um, Judge Clarence um, Thomas in 1981, another black man. He apologised for this in um, at the end of 2019, but he actually apologised to Anita Hill herself earlier in this year. So that doesn't really bode well. He was also a key part of de deregulation banks. He was friendly with um, MBNA, who also bought by the Bank of America. Um, and they contributed several, 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 several dollars <laughs> to his campaigns for more than 20 years. He also backed bills that made it more difficult for consumers to get bankruptcy protection. Biden was instrumental to Obamacare, which is very good because this, um, one of the key achievements of Obamacare was that it provided coverage for Americans with pre-existing conditions and 20 million of those people didn't have cover before. So those who don't know, if you don't have um, health insurance, you will have to pay pretty extortionate fees depending on what it is for um, healthcare treatment, which is just inhumane in my opinion. And many people can't afford it. Currently 14 million people in America don't have health insurance, which is crazy. He sponsored the Violence Against Women Act in 1984, which led to a major decline in intimate partner violence by more than half across 16 year period. So that, that's, a, that's definitely a plus. But there was other things involving acts and, and other acts around that that make it a negative overall. Biden on The Breakfast Club, he said that if you, if you vote for Donald Trump instead of him, then you're not black which is a very wild statement for a 77-year-old white man to say. Biden also said in August this year, unlike, and I quote, unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is incredibly diverse community with incredible, incredibly different attitudes. Obviously, he was getting these ass pams, so he had to apologise afterwards, but he just said that black people are the same. Literally, <laughs> that's basically what he said. But whatever. In the 70s, he was against busing. And busing is when, you, when you're sending black students to white dominated schools and sometimes in reverse to try to get some equality in terms of educational system. He said that um, liberals need to accept that this thing isn't working and he was key amongst lawmakers who are against it. He said that um, it's causing, also causing um, social unrest. However, studies have shown that it actually was beneficial to black students and it actually didn't cause any real harm to white students. And at the time, the early black senator, Edward Brooke, he criticised him for it. And even um, his vice president right now, uh, Kamala Harris, which we'll get into later, she was on his ass for that when they were debating against each other in 2019. Now, if you look at the crime bill, in 1994, this brought three strikes and you're out. So basically, if you commit certain crimes, Three times, you're sentenced to life in jail. Then the bill also created new federal crimes and expanded the number of crimes in a catchment area. So essentially, three crimes can be slapped in jail for life. He has defended that bill, like, as of recent 2016, he says that it restored American cities. But obviously, as the election came closer, he knew he couldn't carry on that. He, he, he apologised for it and he actually tried to downplay his involvement, which is kind of wild because he himself called it the Biden crime bill. So you can't say, yo, like, boy, this was very bad. I apologise for it. But do you know what I mean? It wasn't really mean like that when you called it the Biden crime bill. Which one is it? The prison population then kept on growing and growing and growing, obviously, <laughs> when you're incentivising people to build prisons. Um, and you're slapping people in life for certain crimes and you're, make, and you're making harsher sentences for similar um, certain offences. He now confirms that the imprisonments went way too far 
the prisoners were disproportionately black. For example, like there's, there's evidence showing that within the first five years of this, one million black people were sentenced to prison for first-time offences, first, first-time non-violent drug offences. Yeah? Do you know how crazy that is? Absolutely insane. Um, and this is what I personally and many people are heavily critical of Hillary for in the previous election because she was also a key part of this. Also, if you look at the 1986 Drug Act, which was imposed for tougher possession of crack instead of powder cocaine, these had their very different implications. And that's because in the more black communities, they were selling crack. And in the more white communities, they were selling powder cocaine. So why did you impose the tougher possession of crack rules? Hmm. I'll leave that for you to decide. So yeah, so that is the... And also there's a video going around of Biden and inappropriately touch a lot of women and then there's some very worrying accusations regarding I don't want to get into those because I like speaking facts but he hasn't got the most crystal clean histories but he has shown the ability to change with the times in terms of his stances and I'll leave it up to you to decide if it's an evolution due to okay this is wrong or because of the current um, societal climate and wanting to progress in his career. That is up to you, the listeners, to decide. I have my own personal opinions, which you could probably guess, knowing me. Now, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, um, one minute she's Asian, one minute she's black, according to the streets. Obviously, she got sworn in yesterday, so now it's a big W for black people, big W as a, the first black woman VP. But in other instances, somebody of her, her very complexion and ethnic makeup would not be deemed as a black woman. The reason I'm saying this is on the pod is people need to make up their minds up and pick. I think this whole stuff is ridiculous. And me personally, I see Kamala Harris as a black woman. That's me personally. But other people, it depends on if they want to rate you or not, which is strange. But that's the story for another day. So let's look into Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris has a history in lawmaking and just the legal field. So she was an attorney general in San Francisco before becoming attorney general for the state of California, then becoming a senator and now becoming a vice president. So that is a very, very strong come up. Uh, one of her key successes is the Back on Track initiative, where the first where first time drug trafficking defendants will have a personal responsibility plan. They set goals around parity and education, employment. And instead of serving jail, they'll serve 220 hours of community services. So this is quite, and this is quite a revolutionary type thing because at the time, which I think I'll probably refer to later, people weren't really calling for such a thing. So this shows that she is trying to be a progressive prosecutor. However, her she always refers to this as one of her successes when people challenge her history as um history as when it comes to crime and stuff like that but the scheme i don't think you could objectively say it was a success now it was designed to reduce the prison population in fact the prison population through the lifetime of the scheme grew in san francisco and another issue with the back on track um, initiative is its parameters to enroll you need to firstly complete a six-week probational regimen then plead guilty, then do community services, and then do the PRP. That's the personal responsibility plan. This requires meeting three times a month, and then weekly meetings three times a week, and also sign up for job training through public-private partnerships, which she established. So I'm going to talk on that too tough. Now, not Twitter threads, not blogs, not written opinion pieces from the LA Times or wherever you want to say, actual internal document from the district attorney's office showed that 241 people completed the program between 2007 and 2011. That's not the greatest of numbers. 300 people actually left without finishing. So more people failed the program than actually succeeded it. In the same period, there was 563 felony cannabis convictions in San Francisco. And this is all according to the district attorney office, not people's opinions according to the DA office. In fact, the, the documents even show like the way they're calculating was a bit funny. The numbers were even adding up anyway. Now, if we talk about her when it comes to police, it, it get, this one gets interesting. And I've seen the thread on Kamala Harris. I read it in detail. And... It was a very, in my opinion, 
a very cleverly put thread where you're bringing certain claims and then debunking them. But some of the claims were debunked, but it's how the claims are worded. So when you're talking, I'll probably do that as a conclusion piece. But um, it's very interesting, some of the things they chose to discuss and some of the things they chose to admit. So I'm going to talk about policing. So her comments on police and body cams is very interesting. So part of how she claims to be a progressive uh, prosecutor is like, oh, yeah, we want, um, like, look, if you look at my own police, they wear their body cams. But she actually doesn't believe it should be the standard. Standard. In 2015, she said she believes it should be discretional and it should be up to um, the states to decide what to do with technology when it comes to policing. She doesn't think it should be like the standard across the board. And also in speaking about uh, the history of police brutality with America, and I quote, she says America has a proud history and a history that it shouldn't be proud of. And I quote, she, um, she believes that both sides need to be working together to build trust. Uh, all lives matter. Why should we, the people, be working with the police? We're the ones who be... But anyway, that's a story for another day. So, yeah, she actually... So, in 2019, she boasted of how, yo, my police, we wear body cams. But that was not made mandatory for all local police officers in the state. It was just her own people them that wore body cams. So that was cleverly left out of the announcement. So can we really give you ratings for being progressive in that regards when you don't even believe and your actions have shown that? I don't think we really can. Now, back to the police case. Uh, if you look at the Anine, um, Anaheim police firing, being bagged shotguns into a crowd of men and women and young children that had gathered to protest after one officer shot and killed an unarmed Latino man from an able during the chase, a point. There's a video of this on YouTube and it's crazy. Nothing came of the report. A public information assistant with the Attorney General's office told um, Pace that there's no record of press release related to any such investigation surrounding the Diaz killing. Um, subsequent sub subsequent um, public reform records yielded nothing. Uh, when the when the Attorney General's office took an extensive look into them and they even missed it on deadline. And her campaign have refused to comment on this gazillion times. They did fuck all. <laughs> and that was the case in many other cases. That's the one I just picked up. Now, when another thing that I saw on that thread was people say, oh, Kamala Harris is locking up loads of black people, 1,500 black people. No, there's no evidence of that number specifically. So obviously that was debunked in the thread. However, less used common sense. The this is the population of California by a breakdown. 6% black, 39% Latino, 37% white. So these are some of the, these are some of the key numbers. 6% black, 36% Latino, 37% white. Now, if you look at the population, 29% black, 43% Latino, and 22% white. So three out of ten black, three out of ten inmates in 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 California prisons are black. Four out of ten of them are Latino. So that means seventy percent of California jails are filled with ethnic minorities. Facts. So when people are looking at the numbers regarding prisons, arrests, it speaks very badly to what California are doing with regards, and this is pretty much similar across the, across the globe, with ethnic minority people and prisoners. One good thing she did was she imposed implicit bias training for law enforcement, but you can't get ratings for the body cam because you didn't make it enforceable. It's optional. Um, we will come back to um, the, the prisoner thing. But um, there was another thing that was quote to quote debunked in, in that thread regarding the anti-truancy thing. This is when um, Harris and, and her law, uh, Harris and co, they wanted to kind of tackle the high truancy levels in California. And this actually led to some very negative side effects. Um, so... In the thread, they said, no, she didn't lock up people for missing, people's parents for missing school. In fact, 
this person who said it was actually locked up in Orange County. Big man. Let's use common sense here. She is the attorney general for the whole state. So what happens in her state is based off her legislation. If Theresa May put in some fucking legislation, which led to police or Priti Patel and police were doing a madness, people will blame the lawmaker. That's how it works. Of course, you're not on the streets. Theresa May or Priti Patel is not on the streets locking people up. That's just dumb. Anyway, so back to this truancy thing. Kamala Harris herself did eventually show remorse regarding to the anti-truancy effort. Because in some cases, jail sentences, arrests were levied at parents for in multiple um, California counties for truant kids. She, Kamala Harris herself, our new vice president, or American new vice president, said herself, it was an unintended consequence. Kamala Harris and her people, they said that the law's purpose was to kind of prod school districts to provide resources to families of truant kids and not lock them up. But unfortunately for them, several counties use these rules and sometimes jail parents. And I listened to NFL podcasts by, called GM Shuffle by Mike Lombardi. He was a former general manager for an NFL team. And he's a very intelligent man. And he talks about how you build organisations and sports teams, whatever. And one of, his, one of the quotes he says is my favourite. He says, you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. So when you talk about perf bad performances for certain teams, he's like, listen, either you're coaching them to do this nonsense or you're allowing them to persistently do this nonsense. And that's what leadership is. So... She has to hold the L for that. You could debate whether it's her attention, but boy, it, it doesn't look well. It doesn't look good. Um, so this is her quote. My regret is that I have now heard stories I have now heard. That always gives it away for me. In some jurisdictions, district attorneys have criminalised the parents and I regret that this has happened. And, and the thought of anything I did could have led to that because searching was not the attention, it was never my attention and never was the attention. She said that since 2019. You decide. Now, here's one of my personal favorites. In 2011, the Supreme Court demanded that the state of California reduce its prison population by 33,000 inmates in the next two years. This is due to overpopulation. The prisons were overpopulated. This is backdated from before Biden, Biden, Clinton, and the Clintons, and then long after them, it's been treading that way. Mass incarceration has been always been an issue. Do you know what I mean? And some of these people are contributing factors to it, and some are before them, and some are their predecessors. So back to the back to the point. Sorry, I'm all over the place. There's so much information. So 2011, Supreme Court said, "Yo, state of California, reduce your prison population by 33,000 inmates in the next two years. There is overpopulation. This is resulting in starvation, and inhumane treatment, and even death." Yeah. However, in 2014. Federal judge ordered that all non-violent second strike offenders be eligible for parole, parole after serving half their sentence. Most of these prisoners were working as groundskeepers, janitors and kitchen staff. Harris's lawyers in court argued that releasing them would drastically reduce the prison labour pool. No one would have lied, that's what argued. So in the thread, it said that, yo, Kamala Harris didn't jail people for... Um, labour yeah that's true doesn't that's not the argument the argument is they have they went to court to fight against releasing people who are eligible for release on the grounds of labour pool that's a fact Carmela Harris told BuzzFeed that she was shocked to hear that I was, I was very troubled when I read that. I just need to find out what we did actually say in court, she said. So now it's up to you lot to believe or not if she her lawyers just went rogue. So fuck it. Like I don't care what um I don't care what our employer says. We're gonna do this. Come on. Come on. Now when it comes to the marijuana, I saw in that thread as well. Yeah, and she wasn't locking up people for weed. Look at these numbers. It actually went down. It's cap. Let's talk about it. Firstly, it's important. Look at her history. She actually opposed the use of recreational marijuana for two decades. And she always said, yo, listen, because of my history in law and being in the courts, I've seen the damage to communities. 
Can you argue with that? Me personally, I don't think you can. Um, but however, she evolved. 2015, she called for an end on she called for an end on the federal ban of medical marijuana, but she didn't say fully legalize it. But in 2018, she co-signed legalizing weed. And this shows her ability to be more progressive in her thinking. So I think, me personally, I think she does credit for that. However, when people were talking about, um, yo, um, she wasn't locking people up for weed. District attorneys, state attorney generals don't don't lock people up for weed. First of all, it's dumb. They set the rules. That's number one. And everybody else do the thing. But... And people say, yeah, she didn't put 1,500 black men in jail for weed. Yeah, there's no evidence of that. That 1,500 black, um, 1,500 number actually came from a debate where, oh, I forgot the name of the Federal Democratic Congress woman. And she said, yo, 1,500 people were in, within your term were in jail for marijuana offences. And you were caught laughing about it. Like, this doesn't make sense. When she was pressed on this, um, in the debate, Kamala Harris, she kind of like didn't really say anything, but then she gave a better defense closer to the time of this election and stuff. But that was actually wrong. First of all, it wasn't a, it wasn't one thousand five hundred black men. We don't know the demographic. The number was one thousand five hundred. That number was actually wrong. The publication that we're looking at the actual numbers, the Cali Prison, showed that the number across that time frame was in fact one thousand nine hundred seventy four. But there was no demographical breakdown. We don't know if it's we don't know if it's Latinos, blacks, whites, whatever. But remember, I gave you the numbers of the um, population demographic. It's very likely that seven out of ten of these one thousand nine hundred seventy-four were ethnic minorities. So that's why people say it, but they just don't get their numbers right. And even when people say in in the thread, they said, "Oh yeah, but look at that. The numbers dropped." When to, if you look at um, uh, marijuana um, offences landed in jail, no. Those were numbers from 2011. There was a, uh, there was a piece of legislation introduced that meant that from those, for those drug offences, people go to county jail instead of state jail. So that's why the state jail numbers look less for marijuana. They're not. They just went to county jails instead. So that is just some more fact-checking, 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 fact-checking of manipulatively put, quote-unquote, fact-checking. So when it comes to that, I'm not too sure how much you could penalise Harris personally. Um, but it's nasty to me. It's nasty having people in jail for... Um, First time drug offense, especially with marijuana. But in 2018, she has shown to evolve to want to decriminalize it. But then again, it's up to you if you believe that's just a natural evolution or that's somebody who's what is trying to get reelected and understanding the demographic of their voters. So now, if you look at um, when her as it comes to like um, the sequel industry. Despite her previous crackdown on the sexual industry, she's now actually in favour of legalising prostitution, but she makes it very known it's only in the cases when it's between two consenting adults, not no third party being pimps and that. She supported the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, as well as the Allow States and Victims to Fight Online Tricks Online Sex Trafficking Act in 2017. These were designed to tighten restrictions on those who are willingly facilitate, support or assist sex trafficking in person and online. So props, kudos to that. And if you look at her history, she is known for battling against these things. She said in 2019 that she supports um, uh, the legalization of prostitution. She, and she said back in the day when I was fighting, I, it wasn't me being against the women, I was just against the pimps. And because of the pimps comes with criminality, violence, and putting these women in dangerous ways. So you have, to, you have no choice in my opinion but to respect that. She actually has a history of fighting on behalf of the victims of sexual abuse, particularly children, and that's been key to her political identity. She actually specialised in prosecuting sex crimes and child exploitation as a young produce, prosecutor when she came out of law school. So that's been um, Kamala Harris's bag. So, this, so that shows some virtue, in my opinion. And in regards to her being a progressive prosecutor and debates on this, in her defence... 
as I mentioned, the back on track program was at a time when people were calling for more stricter actions, and that's including Democrats. And one, some of the things she has done is when a police officer was shot, shot and killed, um, people calling for death penalties, she refused to pursue it. Even though uh, one of um, a fellow Democrat actually snaked her, she still stood strong. She refused the death penalty. She's actually, she's actually somebody who doesn't believe in the death penalty. But what does confuse people is that she also advocated for more, um, more crimes to be put under the uh, guise of potential death penalty as a consequence. So that's confusing. And I think a lot of the stuff that she has done is very confusing and it kind of leaves people with a lot of room to question her intentions and morality. Another thing to mention in her favour, in my opinion, is that if you look at the free strikes law, she modified in California. So the third time you commit one of these crimes, for you to be hit with life in jail, she changed it, it has to be either a serious or violent crime, which is a welcome reformation. But the free strikes rule inherently is a bad rule in many people's opinion. And especially when you look at the demographic of America and the nation of California and the nation and the type of crimes in the catchment area, these will disproportionately affect ethnic minorities. So yeah, that's the tea on Kamala Harris. The good, the bad, the ugly, as well as Biden. And now, I will answer some questions. Can uh, so Abby Dabby, she asks, can Trump overturn it in court? My answer is no. He has little to no chance. Um, Miss Testfire asks, Joe Biden foreign policy plans and previous histories with other countries. So we I spoke about the Iraq War. Um, him and Kamala Harris and many people are quite on smoke as it comes to. <laughs> the, the Middle East on the bomb administrations we saw the amount of drone strikes and stuff like that under Syria so that's up energy there on implications on Brexit boy as regards to Brexit is a bit techy firstly people are saying that Biden's first visit to Europe will be to with to be to Brussels and not London Berlin or Paris and it shows they want to rebuild their relationship with Europe. So I'm not sure how that, how well that stems for us. He's also warned with regards to Northern Ireland that he expects that the Good Friday records are respected and protected in the same way that which UK and EU terms are negotiated don't put at risk to the stability of borders in Northern Ireland. Also, the transatlantic deal, he's going to look to have a look at that and reshape that. So that's kind of how it is going to impact Brexit, potentially. Um, what else have people asked? What does this mean for UK and how will it be different from Trump in the second term? Well, Trump and Boris were boys. They had a very strong relationship. The UK will now have to build another different type of relationship with Biden and it's pretty similar to what I said regarding Brexit stuff. So, um, shout out to if he asked me, what, uh, what happened to Trump's chance of winning if the pandemic didn't happen and the Black Lives Matter movement? I think... Those things would have given Trump a better chance of victory, definitely. First things first, I'll mention how COVID really battered their economy, how COVID um, was awful for a lot of people. There's record unemployment in America and all that type of stuff and how elderly people reduced their support for Trump. Remember, I said the, the three main issues, the economy, number one, number two, racial inequality, and number three, coronavirus. And coronavirus is very linked to number one, the economy, because it battered the economy for the best part of the year. So... All three really sit very badly for Trump. And I think Trump probably would have had a, a significantly stronger chance of re-election. The Black Lives Matter movement is very powerful, very, very powerful. And it caused a lot of people to kind of start looking at Trump and white supremacy in certain light. But I'm still, again, I'm still not sure because we've seen that Trump gained votes with ethnic minorities. But he did lose even more with... Um, with with um, white male voters and white um, women voters. So maybe the Black Lives Matter movement had some things to do with that because it did awaken a lot of anger and disgust with white people looking at racism. However, as I said earlier in the pods, the divide seemingly has a lot to do with college education and stuff like that. And we did see increased votes in all groups, pretty much, outside white people for Trump. Um, shout out, okay, so, um, somebody asked me a question, 
regarding um, the impact of the black vote on Trump on the election, and I don't I don't think it was as strong as people people suggest um, as the data suggests. She also asks what Joe Biden pregnancy Republican Senate will look like and why Trump fraud claims are baseless. Da, 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 da. Trump's claims are a bit baseless because they're not completely baseless. It's very dodgy, but I'll probably go to, into that on another podcast. I'm going to look into a lot of detail because there's so much information. I'm not sure who's telling the truth and who's being biased and whatever. But um, Biden's presidency is going to be interesting because if you look at the House of represent- Representatives, um, 410 out of the 435 seats were up for election and 214 went to the Democrats, 196 to the Republican Party. So currently there's no majority for the Democrats, but they have more. Whereas in the Senate, uh, we need 51 for majority. 46 are with the Democrats and 48 are with the Republicans. So it's going to be difficult for certain things to be pushed through Congress because the Dems don't have a majority, especially in the Senate where the uh, Republicans actually have more votes. So yeah. That's it for this week's podcast. I hope there was a lot of information for you to take in. Please feel free to tweet me any questions regarding this. I'm be more than happy to help. If you maybe would like some more information on the sources I got this information, I literally got like a, a Google document with all my sources. So I'll give that to you. Um, just any questions, tweet me or hashtag Dysonomics. Like shit, like with like on spotify and all them things there send to your friends tell a friend tell a friend until next week sports social podcast network